On this episode, I ruined Kelsey's life with The Matrix and The Animatrix. Yeah. Hop on board the Zeitgeist train. We're going all the way back to 1999. Follow the white rabbit. Well, that was good. Like in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, welcome to Ruin My Life, a podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like. I am Jason Edwards. I'm Kelsey Goldman. Wow, good to be back here with you. Yeah, the it two feels of like us. it's been a while. The gruesome twosome. Gruesome twosome. The two of us together again. I say that every time there's like <laughs> been a single episode where we're not just the only people on the podcast. To be fair, it's been a while since we recorded an episode. I know, but like if anyone's listened to this in chronological order, which I can't imagine they are, if they were really going to be like, well, Jason really pulls out every time, like... Even like if there's like a week where it's like we have a third person, it's like when I get back, it's like, oh, Kelsey, it's oh man, it's just us finally again. some room. Finally, I'm, I'm gonna start doing that every time we have an episode. Sounds good. Uh, with no one else is on, Kelsey, we're here. Uh, we're here. Yeah, we're in this space. We're in a um, we're in we're in your apartment for once. So if yeah, we sound. If I sound like I'm just like not on my game, that's that's the reason why. <laughs> that's the reason why. That is the only reason. It's the why. only reason. Um. It was my day off. So <laughs> today we are talking about a little movie that you may have heard of called The Matrix. Indeed. So The Matrix, as you surely know, is a science fiction action movie written and directed by the Wachowskis from 1999. It stars Keanu Reeves, John Wick himself, <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne, a.k.a. Cowboy Curtis, Carrie Ann Moss, Known, uh, you know, mostly from this. What else was she in? She was in um, Memento after this. She. This is her main, this, this is her first thing. Her, first, her big first big thing. Yeah. Cool. And uh, also starring Hugo Weaving. Mm-hmm. And Wikipedia also lists um, Joe Pantoliano as a star. I guess it's technically it's true. It's a supporting role. Yeah, it, it's mm-hmm. his, I, I, his role in the movie is always smaller in my memory than it is in reality. So the I'm going to do my best to just briefly summarize The Matrix. I don't think there's that much to explain. Well, if this was 1999, you would be thinking a whole different way. I guess you're right. Back then, this was the most mind-blowing thing you could imagine. The Matrix is a movie about a young man named Thomas Anderson, a.k.a. Neo, uh, as he is known in the underground cyberpunk hacking leather rave community he, <laughs> he seems to be loosely a part of. Uh, he's contacted by the one scene. He's, <laughs> yeah, uh, he is contacted by a person named Trinity, who is revealed to be none other than Carrie Ann Moss, who promises his him an answer to the nagging sense of confusion and doubt and illusion he's felt his whole life. He just doesn't fit in. But basically, he basically says like you know like there's more that meets the eye to uh, to this reality, and it becomes clear she's trying to recruit him, recruit him for some reason. And at the same time, he's, he comes under the attention of a group of sunglass-wearing, suit-wearing, uh, you know, nondescript white guys, led by Hugo Weaving. And Neo is uh, meets the legendary uh, like hack- hacker, criminal, terrorist Morpheus, who offers him a choice between the red pill or the blue pill. 
Mm. Uh, and the red pill offering, you know, the truth of whatever's going on, which Neo at this point does not know. Takes the red pill, wakes up. Uh-oh. Reality is an illusion. It's actually uh, 200 years in the future. And mankind was conquered by machines. And now we all live in pods. And now we all live in pods. And the, feed the, the machines. And feed the, we feed the machine. Hell yes. <laughs> Hell yes. You know, Morpheus catches Neo up on what's been going on. Tells him he's a uh, messianic figure known as the One, which, as far as names for your messianic figure go, you know, pretty lackluster, but whatever. I mean, again, Neo does anagram into One. Whoa. 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 <laughs> Man, have you ever read any Plato? No. It's just the shadows of the things. So this really is like the um. The allegory of the cave. <laughs> I was going to say it's like the freshman year psychology course, the movie. <laughs> uh, Neo is told he's a messiah. He's going to lead the revolution that's going to overthrow the machines and restore humanity to the its rightful place as rulers of the world, essentially. Uh, there's some wacky mishaps. Morpheus is captured. Neo has to embrace his destiny as the one to save him. And he does. And that's basically it. Yeah. When you break down the plot of the first Matrix movie, it's actually pretty simple. Not there's a lot, there's a lot of time given over to just getting you over uh, the concept of the of the movie. Yeah. And getting you on board with what's happening. Yeah. Which is, you know, part of the fun, in my view of it. Because you know, we'll, we'll get into your ideas about this movie a little <laughs> bit. Uh, I guess we can get into them now. I mean, I think... Because... Okay. I did not love The Matrix. <gasps> I did not dislike The Matrix. I just feel kind of indifferent towards The Matrix. My thing is, I think because I didn't see this movie around when it came out, it kind of changes a lot of things about how much you have to establish to get the person to understand the concept of The Matrix. I think um, in 1999, they had to spend a lot of time establishing, you know... What is the Matrix? What is the Matrix? What is the Matrix? And I think because, I don't know, maybe it's a weird cyclical thing because, like, the Matrix exists. <laughs> like, I, and it's in the zeitgeist, I don't have to, like, I don't need as much time to, like, conceptualize that. And it just felt like a slog the first half of the movie. And because so much time was given over to, like, establishing the concept, I feel like I didn't really get to know any of the characters. So when the characters were put on like were put in danger and we were supposed to care about what happened to them i didn't care uh, okay I, that's I, how i feel i see your i see your your reasoning uh, are you saying that you already since you knew what the matrix was from the get-go you that whole, all that first hour or so was wasted time no not totally wasted i just think it could have been like a half hour <laughs> because like i understand the idea as a whole and i think they I think I was confused about what was going on because I like I know what is supposed to happen and I know he's supposed to end up in the situation where he takes one of the pills. <laughs> right. And well, I was like, why is it taking us so long to get there? Well, here's a better question. Here's this might actually illuminate something a little bit more than me just badgering you. What <laughs> what elements like what did you know about the Matrix going into this? Um, just just to give me a frame of reference for what your experience was with this thing. Why did I know about the Matrix going into this? Obviously, you knew about there's a scene where Lawrence Fishburne offers Keanu Reeves <laughs> one of two pills. Yes. What did you know about the context of that moment? Um, as far as I understood, I didn't know that it was like a, you know, our lives are fake, the whole 
this is the real world thing. I knew that like one of those pills would take him into a different world than the one he was in. But you didn't know. I didn't know the concept of it, it being like real versus like a alternate dimension. Yeah. A diff- just a different world. Yeah. Okay. I knew there was lots of fighting. People were hackers and had stuff to do with computers. Although that really seems to be not super necessary to the plot. The fact that like Trinity and Neo are hackers. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Neo was only, I think, a hacker because it gives Trinity a point of contact with him. We spend a lot of time with Neo at the beginning. That feels unnecessary because I don't feel like we know him anymore. Like, I don't feel like I care about him anymore because of that time we spent with him. <laughs> and maybe that's just because it's Keanu Reeves not acting against a bunch of very charismatic people. Whereas in the later parts of the movie, he is acting against a bunch of very charismatic actors. Like, and it it works for him. I don't know. The whole scene in when he's in the cubicle... And he gets kidnapped and, like, he goes out on the ledge but doesn't go out on the ledge. He goes out on the ledge but doesn't, like, try to escape. Felt so unnecessary. Like, if the whole point was to establish that they put the thing in his belly or whatever. Like, why do we have the whole thing about going out on the ledge? Well, it's, also, it's also establishing that Morpheus is this benevolent figure who, like, somehow knows a lot about Neo. And can not only, like, in, in a sense guide him towards the truth but also literally, like has enough knowledge to guide him through the specific layout of his cubicles and his office. And he's like instructing him on how to get away from these people who are chasing him. And also that Neo, when he is faced with like, when he has to go on that ledge and he's like basically asked to do something really scary and dangerous, <laughs> he's he, he's not so dissatisfied with his life that he'll make that metaphorical leap quite yet. I mean, I told you after we watched it, I thought I, thought I needed to watch it again. Because I didn't, feel like I got enough out of it. Yeah. I mean, it's also just meant to be like a fun sort of like sneaky chase scene. <laughs> God, that's what worries me more than you not caring about the characters. Yeah. Because when you, yeah, I mean, if you watch this, there's no, I told you after we saw it, I wasn't going to argue that there was some sort of like really deep, like hidden, deep characterization to it, which is, you know, not not to paint with too broad a brush, but that's sort of like the Tumblr uh, world of criticism. <laughs> Where you just lay as many layers into a thing as you possibly can. Yeah. But I feel like the actual set pieces of The Matrix are so good and so fun that the world around it and the characters and the things that are set up are sort of exist not solely to prop those things up, but you know as much as you need to know about these people to make those things work. And if those things themselves just don't work for you, that's... I mean, there's no, like... I can't argue that that, that you're wrong about that because there's there's no... (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, there's no other point of view I can offer that's well, going to make up with the fact that I you just didn't like what was happening on screen. Maybe I just didn't watch it right. Like, I wasn't watching it for the right things. In that, like, I was watching it for a story, and I should have been watching it for, like, the sort of craft. Because, like, the fight scenes are great. Like, that that's what, like, was really interesting to me was, like, they're they're really interesting and strange like they're they're a weird they're weirdly choreographed for the type of movie that it is i feel like do you know what i'm saying in that like they feel they feel very much like um martial arts fight scenes but they're not in a martial arts movie necessarily and they're very fast and quick and jerky almost in a movie that i was understood that was supposed to be like the whole like you know smooth and and the sort of like bullet dodging grace thing is what I thought I was getting going into, and it wasn't what I expected, but I enjoyed it. 
And I think the other thing is like my main experience with the Wachowskis is Sensei, which is very character driven and is, you know, science fiction, but in a, in a very character driven way. Mm, yeah. Um, it's, yeah. Much more character driven than the Matrix. Yeah. And you... so um, that's that's what I'm coming from. So I was trying to follow a character story when I should have been focusing on the world building and the craft that, you know, because this doesn't look like a movie from 1999. It looks like a movie from at least like 2005, 2006. <laughs> yeah. Well, which is, I mean, you know this. It's because it influenced all those movies that came out in the next, yeah. in the next decade. <laughs> Um, so I think maybe I was just watching it for the wrong things because the world building is great. And I think talking about that, we can shift into the animatrix maybe, which is more about the world. Yeah. I'm not done talking about this though. Okay. I got it. I, I would be very remiss to get okay. out of this, this part of the, of the episode without talking about, uh, Yun Wo Ping. And I apologize if I'm saying that name incorrectly, is he the fight choreographer? but he is the choreographer for the matrix mm-hmm. and the matrix sequels. And he's a big name in Hong Kong martial arts movies. Cool. Which are, um, I get the impression that you may have expected a slightly more serious movie than this is. Yeah. And this movie is not unserious, but it's also, you know, you don't hire a Hong Kong martial arts uh, choreographer because you want realism. You do it for like the theatricality of it Mm -hmm. and like the weird sort of, I don't even want to say weird, but you know what I mean. It's a little bit more over the top than a more subdued style of fighting that you would have seen in like 80s action movies or into the 90s as, as well and so if you're not expecting that i can see that that might throw you off a little bit because the bullet time is one of the um i forget this actually going back and revisiting it too there's much more martial arts than i remember there being but that's like some of the best parts of the movie i mean the whole fight between him are, and, and Lawrence fishburne when they're like in the matrix training simulation when they're like in a dojo or whatever that is um is really, really good and really, really compelling and probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. You think about The Matrix as, and it's sort of is presented this way too, as this technological advancement, like this marvel of like, the bullet time is so, how they do it, uh, and, they, and they, you know, they push computer effects to the limit. And there's even like, I read one review recently when I was doing research for this that sort of compared, like paralleled this with, you know, the way The Phantom Menace, which came out the same year, was meant to be like a, you know, step forward for digital effects. And it... Oh boy, really wasn't. Oh buddy. Whereas the Matrix, you go back and you look at it now, still looks great. Uh, Unlike the Phantom Menace, which looks, sounds, and is ass. (laughs) And that's because like so much of the Matrix is done practically. Like there's a lot of wire fighting. All like a lot of, I don't want you know devalue the work of any stuntmen that worked on this. Stunt people. Thank you. Sorry, stunt people. But a lot of the fight scenes you see are actually the actors. Like, they went through four months of training to learn these moves. And Keanu Reeves had, like, major spinal surgery, like, right before the movie started filming. So they had, they had to put off, like, his stuff as long as they could so he could heal. And he even still then, like, wasn't satisfied with how much kicking there is in the movie. Because he couldn't do as much kicking because his, you know, his vertebrae were fused together and he had to have a surgery on it. Imagine the worst back day you've ever had. Now imagine doing any of this stuff. <laughs> I can't imagine. Sorry, that was a, that was a cruel image to inflict on you. Thank you. <laughs> I just want us to honor the work of Keanu Reeves. No, and, and I, Lawrence and Carrie Ann. Yeah. And Hugo a little bit too. Looking back on this, I think I need to watch it again. <laughs> Why are you shaking your head? You just you just gotta you just gotta watch it right the first time. 
gotta you gotta put on your movie glasses. But I think what you're talking about um, with the Wachowskis and the effects and stuff, I think so many of, I think the use, the sort of fusion of digital and practical effects are something the Wachowskis do really well, at least evidenced from this movie. And I think from um, Sense8 as well, where a lot of the like weird editing and stuff is all done practically where people would just like duck in and out of frame to <laughs> um to figure things out um yeah you're right since eight is a is a, a marvel of like editing and and, and work i don't know why it like hasn't that. won any editing awards because it fucking should it's it like, should it's win a, all the awards the only good show it's, a, it's <laughs> the only good show it's a technical marvel and but it's not because it's not that because they're throwing as much cgi as they can at yeah. it just because they're doing something really unique and weird with practical effects that's a good point point. and i think like the wachowski's use of practical effects in in the matrix as well is really um really what makes it so timeless i mean it's not totally timeless there are things that would be better now but like like i said it doesn't look like a movie from 1999 it doesn't look like the phantom menace where you're just like what (laughs) it's also like a better story and a better movie like in general effects aside (laughs) but yeah i think the the wachowskis like it really speaks to their talent in like using the medium of filmmaking to its you know highest what am i trying to say potential yes (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm just I'm trying to narrow down like the things I want to talk about because I just there's I, so many. I really, we have a whole other episode. I, so. really, I really love this movie. I know. And I saw it when I was 13, which is the perfect age to see it. And it was also the time when I just started to understand that movies could be like a thing that I enjoyed. Yeah. I didn't realize until we were watching it with you recently how much this movie is like imprinted itself on me mm-hmm. and how many things I took from this and how many like like small little things in it I like just have stuck with me forever. I don't think I've even watched it that many times. I think when I first rented it, I watched it twice that weekend. <laughs> so um, maybe I should retract my uh, my making fun of you for wanting to watch the movie twice. Because <laughs> I remember I overheard someone in eighth grade right before I saw the movie talking about The Matrix and they said something like, oh yeah, man, you watch that movie, you gotta watch it at least twice, you won't get anything that's going on. And mm. I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm the smartest eighth grader in the world, so <laughs> I'm pretty sure I got it. And I definitely watched it twice that weekend in my parents' basement. <laughs> I just... I, it's hard for me to hear someone not like The Matrix, I guess. And I didn't realize how that's that's not normal. Like this isn't this is like not necessarily universally regarded as a classic. Yeah. It's like this weird sci-fi movie that had a big impact on the culture, but was sort of also like, and we'll talk about this later. Uh, the part a lot of that was swept away because you know the, the sequels came out and they were there's a lot of backlash against them for reasons legitimate and I would say non-legitimate. But it sort of swept away like all the goodwill of the original Matrix movie, and like I think we maybe sort of forgot how important it was. But it also just solidified a lot of things for me. Like when you're 13 years old, you know, as an adult, the idea of like reality is an illusion created by someone to manipulate you and to extract a resource from you. That's that's like yeah, you know, it's late 20 something. The original Black Mirror. That's, ooh. <laughs> That sort of idea now is not that wild. No. But when you're 13, it's the... It's the when you're 13 and it's 2002, it's pretty wild. Things things are taking off. <laughs> your whole... Your eyes are opening up. And even now, like, I see... It's it's a very simple... Relatively... It's, it relatively, it's a, very, it's a very simple setup. And a lot of it's borrowed, shall we say, from other sources. Like, a lot of other movies. Like, Dark City came out a year before this. And is another... Like, an even, even more obscure sci-fi movie that... This borrows a few things from, 
you know, this has a lot of parallels with The Ghost in the Shell, the original movie, which I, I can't speak to specifically because I haven't seen it, but there's a whole there's several videos you can find online that, like comparing like down to specific shots and it's, that's pretty obvious too so it's not like this is some original idea but it's a great i think blending of all these things into one like very slick like very like super cool and in a very like late 90s way super cool package that sort of that was fit for mass consumption like you know i <laughs> I, I sort of i joke about it being freshman philosophy course level discourse but if you can but bake, it is. if you can bake that into a action movie yeah. and get like millions of people to digest that that's actually kind of impressive yeah like the fact that it's I, like it's just the allegory of the cave but it 200 years well many many hundred years in the future and yeah. with computers many many people you know <laughs> would, would, would you know potentially go through their whole lives without like knowing about the allegory of the cave like not everyone goes to philosophy uh freshman year philosophy so the, like I in, think it's an accomplishment. You read, you read that in college? Yeah. Oh, okay. Actually, I'm pretty sure I heard first about the allegory of the cave in high school. In high school, yeah. About it, which is, uh, what's the basic allegory of the cave idea? Is it like we're like we're chained to a wall? And we're chained facing us, a wall. And there's someone above and behind us. Yeah, and there's a fire and people are, things or people are walking by and you're seeing the shadows. Basically doing little shadow puppets. Them, but you don't know any better. So you think. Like when you make a dog with your hand. Yeah. But you think the things on the wall are the, the thing because you you've been in this position all your life, whereas the actual things are the things you can't see. I think. Yeah. That, <laughs> Don't at me. That's how I remember it. <laughs> Don't add us. Don't ever add us. Please add us. And it's also a simulacron simulation by Jean Baudrillard. Am I saying that name right? Jean Baudrillard. Yeah, it sounds right. I mean, he's French, though, so could, that could be anything. <laughs> Which is a big thing about, you know, symbols and reality and culture and how they, you know, mix. I mean, like, there's a scene where, where Neo, like, opens a book that is Simulacron Simulation, and it's opened the chapter on nihilism. <laughs> so, like, pretty obvious. Yeah. That was the, uh, you know, the Lost style of uh, literary illusion before Lost came out. <laughs> you know how on Lost, like, there was that, they would just have characters reading books that, they all, that like, their creators liked? I didn't watch all of Lost, but that makes sense. I mean, that was a big thing in Lost. Mm. And, I, and I love Lost, but, like, come on, guys. <laughs> you can't just have Jacob reading uh, All That Rises Will Converge by Flannery O'Connor. Good book, though. It's a good book. She's a good writer. Uh, not crazy about the Jesus stuff, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> so what did you like about The Matrix? Um, like I said, I liked the fight scenes. Those were great. Um, I liked the outside of The Matrix costumes. Oh, like when Neo is with like the other in the ship in the ship with the other rebels. The co- the cozy sweater life. Everyone's wearing like <laughs> like oversized gray sweaters and yeah. like like tattered uh, pajama pants. I want that cozy sweater life. Yeah, it looks great, except a bunch of them have you know holes in the back of their head where they've been yeah. jacked into the Matrix. Yeah, the the performances like Lawrence Fishburne is great, super compelling. Even though like I wanted the thing is like he's great because you want to know more about him. But, like, I didn't know enough about him. Um, Karen Moss, I wish she had more to do. I didn't like the romance that came out of nowhere, which feels like a studio, like, this, make them kiss at the end this thing. I, this I will absolutely 100% agree with. I have never enjoyed the pseudo-romance in The Matrix. 
it just it was annoying because it's like it feels like at the end it's supposed to like hinge on that and it like doesn't because they've known each other for like three days um and i was thinking about this because yeah that like when like neo has died within the matrix and in the real world yeah and trinity is confessing her love for him which again comes out of nowhere and like even like now and i like look at it as generously as i can does not make sense. And they don't have really any chemistry. They and really, like... They just never interact. Yeah. Like... Because Carrie and Moss doesn't... Trinity doesn't have enough to do. But as much as I love the fight between Neo and, and Morpheus in the like training module, it, it should have been with Trinity. That would have given them... Like if they wanted to establish the like romance, that would have given them like some interaction outside life or death situation. Yeah. Um, That would have both made their character... Like gotten... To, Allowed us to get to know their characters and also like set up a romance, but they didn't do that, that so they didn't great. set up the romance. <laughs> and in that moment at the end, when Neo is dead and Trinity confesses their love to him and he like comes back to life, that not only feels weird and unearned, but I feel like Neo dies and comes back to life because he's the one. It's like it's like the healing power of love is not a thing that's actually happening there. Like, right, you, you could remove her Trinity's entire monologue from that scene. Yeah, and it would play out. Better, actually. Probably. Which is upsetting, because, again, there's not that many female characters in this. Yeah, and, and not to spoil anything, but they, the romance between Neo and Trinity is a bigger deal going forward. But they do, at least in the sequels, spend time on it. Okay. You at least are, see them together at some point. Okay. In fact, you see them together in a very intense way in the opening minutes of The Matrix Reloaded. Oh, good. Is that the second one or the third that's, one? That's the second one. That's the last little hook for you. Get you hooked. <laughs> Uh, speak- Is it sex? Um, uh, I plead the fifth. <laughs> uh, Is it weird Matrix sex? <laughs> in a way. In, in a sense, yes. Oh, God. But I love Carrie Ann Moss in the movie, though. Like, what little she has to do. Because she's very important for the first half hour. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, Morpheus has to come on and explain, like, here's what's been going on for the past half hour. And that takes another hour. Like, But I love, like, in the opening chase sequence. Yeah. Or she's just running around, like, murdering cops. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, the agents start chasing her, and she dives in through that window and does that cool spin-around move, and, like, falls down there, like, like, brings her guns up in a cool, badass pose. <laughs> but, like, nothing happens. Yeah. And she's just waiting there, like, anxiously for something to happen. And then eventually she's, she's, like, she, like, tells herself to get up. I think it's just a great, like, very human moment of, like, what you would do if, like, you had to, like, talk yourself out of, like, a high-adrenaline situation to well, keep moving. Well, I think that's the, like... For me, that's kind of a little bit of the issue is that, like, the movie starts off with that amazing scene of her, and then we just leave her to go talk to Keanu Reeves, who, by all accounts, is fairly boring in comparison. <laughs> I Yeah. I feel the way about watching the Matrix movie as I do sometimes rewatching the first Star Wars movie. Or the you, original. Yeah, the Star, Star the, Wars. The, the, episode uh, four. Yes, A New Hope. <laughs> what else would I mean when I said the, the original Star Wars movie? You said the first Star Wars movie. There's the first one. <laughs> anyway. It was called Star Wars. <laughs> I knew how. <laughs> it was just called Star Wars. Yes. Anyway, go on. My point being <laughs> that when I think of Star Wars, I think of all these like huge iconic things and all this stuff happening and... But I'm, that's like a like a like a overall memory of the entire franchise. Yeah, not much happens in the first movie. No, there's like six sequences in the first Star Wars yeah. movie. <laughs> Luke is on uh, like like there's the opening spaceship, C three PO and R two. Luke Luke's on Uncle Die. 
Luke meets Han Solo. They're in space. They're at the Death Star. Like, and the movie's over. <laughs> it's like, over, it's yeah. crazy. That's kind of how I feel going back to the Matrix. Like, Neo gets out of the Matrix. Yeah. He trains. He's like, I know Kung Fu. And then, you know, Joe Pantaleono. Uh, Joe, Joe, I can never say his name right. Joe Joey, Joey P. Joey P. Cypher. Uh, is like, you know, we have to set up his betrayal because that, that drives the, yeah. actually the entire second half of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no time really... And the movie's already over two hours long. So there's no time really for any other characterization. Right. Like, there's... And what little we get is like, like they're like, add, like you know, some humor, some color, like, among the rest of the crew. I mean, I don't know. And, I, and like, the little things I appreciate, like, the way Mouse is. Yeah. Or just Trinity's little... Tank! Like, or, oh, Tank. Tank's my favorite. Or Trinity's little mannerisms, or you know, Lawrence Fishburne's whole thing is Morpheus. I, think- I mean, what this movie could have used is a putting the team together montage. Oh boy! <laughs> here, here we go. I'm just oh saying, boy. all all movies. I love I love a putting the team together <laughs> montage. You know what? You should watch the Magnificent Seven. I just watched that this weekend. Yeah. The original. I haven't seen the remake. Okay. It's a western from the 1960s. That's, it's all putting the team together. I mean, not all, but like they do a lot in a very small amount of time. Like they put together the titular seven, mm-hmm. and there's some characters you see for one scene, like 30 seconds long, and you already know so much about them. I just think you'd appreciate it. It's a, it's a masterclass in putting the team together. Awesome, will do. Um, but yeah, a lot of things I enjoy about this movie are things that maybe recommendation. You, Done. You, you, <laughs> oh damn! I should save that one for later. No, I forgot we were still doing that sometimes. Sometimes. The things I enjoy in this movie are maybe things that are you wouldn't catch until the second go around. Like the way Trandy puts her hand up on the phone booth when the truck is crashing in during the opening scene. For some reason, that just always, I really enjoy that. Or the way Morpheus says things, just in general, is like very appealing to me. Or the entire scene when Neo goes to meet the Oracle. And she's just this like sweet, sweet old lady making cookies and teasing him and like, but like using her knowledge of the future to tease him. It's just, it's very not much like at odds with this image of the Matrix as this like big portentous yeah. philosophical movie. I mean, I enjoyed that scene a lot. It confused me a little bit in that I wasn't sure where it was taking place. Well, she's training potential like other messiahs in that house. So she's clearly part of the resistance in some way. But she's in the Matrix. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I understand this totally. Like the, the Oracle scene is confusing. It's so sort of... Cause, <laughs> You're meant to be confused. It doesn't really serve the plot that much other than to, like, establish that Neo is doesn't think he is the messiah. Yeah, it's it sets up, like, what, like, the, the closest Neo gets to a character arc. Because it's like he's told that he's basically going to have to choose between his life and Morpheus's. And then towards the end of the movie, when he, like, makes that plan to go back to the Matrix and we're going to save Morpheus and we're going to fight the agents, that's his, like first actual action in the entire movie like he's been entirely reactive up to this point and now he's which kind of is great at yeah and now we're bringing back these these this idea of like you know whether how much neo wants to be in charge of his own life and like you know this idea of fate and he's been he's been told just enough to the sort of system in this way where he can make the choice to to sacrifice himself to save morpheus which he has to do in order to become the one so that the, so the, film the, the Oracle scene, yeah, the Oracle yeah. also works the same way Oracles do in like classic Greek literature, mm-hmm. where it's not really like a here's the future and this is going to solve all your problems. It's more of a that's so Raven style of future telling. <laughs> I do want to acknowledge that the world building is like really, really good in that like the world is really interesting and like there's like little tidbits 
of like things that I want to know more about. Well, if you want to know more about the world of the Matrix, can I turn your attention towards a thing that sort of provides that? Yeah. Called the Animatrix. Yeah, you can, because we did watch that as as well. The Animatrix is a anthology anime film that was produced by the Wachowskis and released in 2003. It is a compilation. <laughs> it's nine short films. Uh, some of them are written by the Wachowskis. Each one is directed by a different director. Some of them are just animation directors from America. Some are famous anime directors. Uh, one of them is the guy who did Aeon Flux. So, hey, good job. Good job, Peter. Um, but they sort of, they all take place within the world of the Matrix. Uh, some are direct prequels to the, to the films. Some are just fun little side stories of what might happen also in this world. And they are, like all anthologies, it varies wild, wildly in quality. But I remember it being very, very good when I first saw it as a teen. And also, coming away from it, like, again, I went through the whole process of, boy, the Matrix sequels were disappointing. Maybe the Matrix isn't that good either. At a, at a certain point, I was I would have, uh, you know, said to you that the Animatrix was the best part of the entire Matrix franchise. I liked the Animatrix. What was your favorite animatrix i liked the one um the yeah. one you referenced in the american ninja warrior episode oh yes so Power? so the one i referenced in the american ninja warrior episode that led us down this this path to begin with <laughs> is called world record yeah it turns out my memory of that one and my affection for that story overshadows a lot of things i don't love in the animatrix i really liked it world record is about a man who a, a famous runner who is pushing himself to break his own record which is already the world record but he's going to go as further than anyone's ever gone before. And it introduces this idea that certain people who are born within the Matrix and are not sort of awoken to its reality by outside means can, like, through sheer determination or just sharpness or strength... Like superhuman feats. Basically just sheer force of will. Yeah. Can become aware of the truth of the Matrix. And this guy pushes himself so far in this one race that he briefly wakes up in the, the weird goo pod in the real world and then is and sort of like has enough time to see what's happening and then is sort of shut back down and spends seemingly the rest of his life sort of half uh, crippled, half, you know, not really coherent. You get the sense he's sort of been so damaged by this glimpse of the truth that he's, you know, sort of confined to a, the, a home, a, a hospital setting for the rest of his life. And that idea is so, I think, interesting. And it, it's it carried out pretty compellingly. And this is a weird, like a weird looking one. I like the animation style now. And like, it's weird, but it's like pretty. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. There's this great <laughs> moment where the guy is talking to his trainer and the trainer is like flicking his fingers at him <laughs> as he speaks. Yeah. And it's a long shot of like the main character tossing his keys to his butler. Yeah. That serves no purpose, but it just looks great. But... I, I really like that one and I like the concept and I think it did like it was a very short span of time that it the narrative lasted but it it said so much and it was so compelling and I thought that was it's like a much more interesting way to introduce the idea of the matrix <laughs> to me at least yeah you you wonder what a movie uh, a matrix movie that that ran from that storyline would look like of someone who like self-actualizes so hard they break out of the matrix <laughs> and that would be tricky because it would leave us without sort of the 
you know, the, the, I would argue that one, the, like the thing that draws us forward in the original Matrix movie is this mystery of what's happening, who these yeah. people Neo was talking to, what does this all mean? And you wouldn't have that if someone just like was so good at doing what they did. Like if if uh, if Colin Firth in The King's Speech learned to speak so good <laughs> and so clearly that his speech opened a, a, a gateway into the real world, that wouldn't be quite as satisfying. Yeah. What would be interesting from that storyline, like this particular world record plot, is that if that continued and the person you know self-actualized into the matrix they are stuck in a world where their no their talent is no longer of use to them and like there's a there's a character study there in that like they were so good at this thing in this fake world and do all their accomplishments mean anything now and that's interesting but it doesn't you're right it doesn't propel the plot forward like we need it to but that would be yeah no i'm just sort of wrapping my head around that because what you're describing is a whole different movie but it does sound like yeah, that would that would be a better if the Matrix were a character driven movie, that'd be a good way to go with it. Yeah. Because that's sort of a complaint you had about the first movie is that there's not a lot of uh you know, Neo's not much of a character. Yeah. And it's kind no, of a blank slate. You don't get a lot of sense of what like this is like what, what this all means to him. Yeah. I mean like it's that's cause Neo is supposed to be a blank slate that we sort of project ourselves onto and we like as he discovers the world we do too and we're just whoa overwhelmed and Ideally, I guess ideally we also think it's cool if we can like plug into our brains and learn kung fu. So he's he's sort of meant to be just you know reactive in a blank slate. But if you were looking for a movie with like you know a compelling lead character, <laughs> like an interesting character, which sometimes you are, sometimes you are. Once in a while, you want to watch, get sit down and watch a good one. <laughs> that would be a good way to do it. Yeah, I think that was probably my favorite of them. Um, I'm just going back through. I'm gonna, I'm just going to read off a list real quick. Yeah, and do uh, that. by the way, the director of World Record is. Takeshi Koiki? Oh, God. I'm not going to try to read the names J- anymore. I'm Jason sorry. apologizes for not being able to pronounce Japanese names. Yeah, I'm just not even going to try. But he worked on Samurai Champloo and a bunch of other stuff. Okay, there, there was The Second Renaissance Part 1 and 2. Yeah, which was like a good backstory. Which is really just next Which, week. like, honestly, I would have liked to have watched before watching The Matrix, but... That this that may have been a good idea, honestly, <laughs> because I mean it sort of gives away what happened and like yeah. takes you away from the journey that the movie's supposed to take you on. But obviously, once you know the ma- the secret of the Matrix has been revealed to you in the culture we live in, that journey journey longer applies anyway. Yeah. Same way, the original Alien doesn't really work the same way it used to. Yeah, because you know, because you because like, we we have this this experience too. Yeah, we discussed this on the on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but when you watch Alien, you know about the chest bursting. Yeah. You know exactly when and where it's going to happen. And so, but that that shock is like the focal point of the entire movie in a yeah. way. So once you like, it's a take very that away, slow movie when you know what's gonna happen. It's it's unbearably slow. So slow. The Matrix, I think, has um, more to offer than the original Alien. Yeah. Aliens is a better movie. Don't at me. It's just true. Still haven't watched. Aliens it. holds up a lot better. But I sort of watched The Matrix with the Second Renaissance Part One and Two in mind. Yeah. And they're both like really memorable and bizarre and creepy, yeah. but also sort of explain the world the world movie in a way that you don't ever actually get in the films yeah and i think like the second renaissance part one and two give me a lot of like be her vendetta vibes as far of as far as like the backstory establishing thing that um which like the wachowskis that were producers they produced <laughs> v for vendetta and a lot of people think they probably directed most of it too <laughs> and sort of like a steven spielberg toby hooper poltergeist sort of way <laughs> where james whatever his name is, is credited as the director, but they did all the work. Uh, James McTeague, who later gave us such works as The Invasion, Ninja Assassin, 
The Raven with John Cusack. Oh. Survivor. What? What is this voice? <laughs> <laughs> and he also worked on um, Sense8. So he's not all bad. <laughs> but yeah, that I just that the sort of like way it's told through like um the storytelling that happens also in that movie and then also just sort of news newsreel style you know, flashbacks and stuff that there was a lot of I got a lot of similar vibes there and I like that movie despite what it's come to represent in our pop culture zeitgeist. <laughs> You're talking about sort of the anonymous 4chan yeah. wearing the V masks. Yeah, because the protagonist of your Vendetta is not V, it's Evie, and that's important and no one gets that. <laughs> but V is the cool dude who hates the, the government <laughs> and beats people up and does cool knife moves. Anyway. But uh, I mean, if you want to talk about like <laughs> m- movies being hijacked by the wrong element, uh, The Matrix is a pl- great place to start. Because when I say red pilling, I think you don't get a good image with that. No. No, you don't. And other people smarter than I have pointed this out before, but the irony of that is when you consider that the Wachowskis are trans women yeah. who made a movie about a white guy whose eyes are open to the truth by a black man and a woman. <laughs> no one who like uses the term red pilling to mean the thing they use it to mean yeah. uh, would ever, ever actually like react that well to that situation. No, they see Neo and they see V and that's all they see in those particular things but that's not the point anyway. uh, i mean i think when the mra people see the matrix they don't even really see neo they just think about the idea of like waking people up to the, rea- to the reality <laughs> and by the way the reality that the the mra people think they're waking people up to is not on the same level as what morbius is doing <laughs> neo. like the lie that mra people think that they're exposing is that feminism is a good thing which whether you even if you think that's true they're, they're, they think that that's a lie. They, so. think, they think that's a lie. Okay. <laughs> they're trying to show you that feminism is bad. Uh. Uh, even if you think that's true, which it's not, <laughs> uh, that's not the same level as the entire world has been taken over by robot monsters <laughs> and we all live in gross goo pods. You're not wrong. It's more of a semantic difference. <laughs> also in the Animatrix is Kids Story. That Kids one was story, problematic. Which is uh, which is one of the ones that's written by the Wachowskis. It's very problematic. Which is about a young boy who was contacted by Neo the same way Neo was contacted by Trinity. It's very problematic. Uh, he, he, he sort of is chased around the school for a little bit because he's getting the same sort of phone calls Neo got. And then to escape and also to wake himself up to do the same sort of self-actualizing that, that the uh, runner guy does, he jumps off the roof of his school and kills himself. And we even see like his funeral like attended by his like peers and his teacher very weird yeah it doesn't send a good message it it doesn't um yeah anyway <laughs> anyway it's a we didn't like that one we're gonna pass over it uh, uh, pass. pass also hard pass the animation on that looks like a serious version of squiggle vision anyway <laughs> also looks like the, that that old animated cartoon about the snowman oh yeah it does i just said animated cartoon <laughs> i'm sorry <sighs> myself <laughs> do you want to do it again no i already said it <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it in uh we also have program uh which <laughs> which one was that that's the one where two people are fighting within a matrix like simulation of a uh, uh, is that the one with the monkey or the... No, no no program is the one with these people two people wearing like samurai garb and jumping around and fighting oh yeah that one was those weird cgi and, and the woman the main character whose name is sis like cis yeah which is there's a joke there somewhere, but I still, I still haven't found it. 
Uh, she's uh, engaging in a battle with a character named Duo. Yeah. Who was trying to convince her to abandon her team and join him uh, as he's recently reinserted in, into the Matrix, the same way that Cypher wanted to be in the first movie. Mm-hmm. And she fights him for a while, and it's, it's very good looking, and you find out at the end that this is oh, all... they're like on the big roof. They're on a big roof, yeah. jumping around, he's like, like slicing up, and she kills him. I like the look of that one a lot. And she gets very emotional when she has to murder him. Mm-hmm. And then you find out at the end it was all simulation. None of it was real. Which, I mean, this one just looks good. Yeah, it's pretty. There's not else to say about it. Um, there is Beyond, which is uh, where a woman looking for her missing fat cat finds a a uh, haunted house that is actually a glitched out matrix space. That was fun. Just fun. The idea of it is, I think, better than the actual story ends up being. The idea of like a, a glitch in the matrix could like simulate a haunted house and people could just stumble upon that is fun, but doesn't really do anything with it. Uh, there is a detective story, aka my shit. That one was so weird, though. Which is a, uh, in a, in a noir-style story about a detective who gets contacted by, who is paid by an agent, though he doesn't know it's an agent, to find Trinity. Mm-hmm. And he tracks her down. And they and he sort of is in the first steps of being recruited by Trinity. But she has to kill him because he's taken over by an agent and he dies. And it's like a noir <laughs> detective story in a very short form. That one left me wanting a little bit. In that, like, I felt like the guy's death at the end was not earned. Yeah, I mean, it's like an <laughs> eight-minute thing. Yeah. If it was, like, but it goes through all the beats of, like, a full-length story. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's part of the problem. But the style of it, you know, for some reason in this, when the Matrix looks like it's the 1940s, and, like, everyone's wearing, you know, over overcoats, <laughs> trench coats, and fun hats. Fun hats. I like that. I just love. I just love the film noir style so much that I can. This one just from the concept up is just a again. To me. I like the way it looked a lot. Same. There's, but no, I think World Record is by far my favorite. There's also Matriculated, which is the one with the monkey. I like that. And one the guy too. did Aeon Flux, where uh, it's weird. This but... one is the weirdest one, and also the one I have the hardest time like squaring with the rest of the <laughs> universe of the movies, where a bunch of um, rebels capture a robot, like a Matrix evil killer robot, yeah, and try to reprogram it to be- fight for them. By going inside its mind and putting it through a series of like weird games because they all project digitally into this world. And I have a problem, not a problem so much as just a, a note, which is that all their uh, cyber world outfits look like the outfits of the characters from the that 1990s Johnny Quest reboot when they went into that digital world. <laughs> I Does anybody remember that? Johnny Quest from the 90s? Anybody? There's a VR universe and they fought. Oh, okay. <laughs> just me, I guess. Uh, there's also Final Flight of the Osiris, which was like the prequel, which is which is both a direct prequel to the second and third movies, and also a direct prequel to the video games that came out, uh, Enter the Matrix, which were sort of uh, tied into the second and third movie. And this is sort of the beginning of a, a problem with the second and third movie, which is that they only tell part of a story, and the big part of that story is in this. Which is about, you know, these half of it is like this weird sexual version of Morpheus and Neo's first fight, <laughs> where these two characters, a man and a woman, are having a duel in, a, in the dojo setting, but it's like a strip duel. Yeah. Where they're slowly slicing each other's clothes off. And then they discover that there's a, then they, they're pulled out of the Matrix simulation and discover there's a whole army of squid robots oh from no. the, from, from, no, no, from the machines. They're right on top of Zion. Ah, oh, they're coming to attack. Ah, there's a whole army coming. Ah, we have to transport this to the, this information to our what allies somehow. What are we going to do? And there's a, just a sort of a chase 
seen through the overworld of the Matrix, um, sorry, of, of reality, as they rush to drop this information off somewhere it can be picked up later. It was weird. It's weird. The animation is weird. The animation's really uncomfortable to me. Like, it's just, it's one It's one of those things when it's like, it's like the Polar Express when it's like too close to being kind of real, but it's just far enough to not, to make you uncomfortable. Oh, here's something. The guy who directed this one is did the visual effects for Avatar <laughs> and The Jungle Book, 2016, and also uh, Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. Cool. And yeah, the Animatrix. Um, I like Seneca Renaissance 1 and 2. Love World Record. Yeah. Like a detective story. We're in agreement here. Yeah. And uh, don't. And Final Fantasy Osiris is... Weird. Both... And unsettling. Creep, unsettling, and also impressive. Because there's parts where it still looks kind of too real. Yeah. And this thing is like 14 years old. It's crazy. It's, uh, it's upsetting. If you could change one thing about the Matrix, where would it be? Hmm. Well... We already gave the best answer for this, which is I would swap out the dojo training scene from uh, Owens Fishburne, as much as I enjoy his performance in that scene, to uh, Carrie Ann Moss as Trinity, so that Neo and Trinity can actually, you know, have some time together. Yeah. Because the one thing about this movie I really don't like is the that last uh, declaration of love. Yeah. Because it comes out of nowhere. It's, it doesn't make any sense. It's almost comical how unmotivated <laughs> it, it is. Aside from that... I don't know what I would change. I thought about this while we were talking, by the way, and I think that the reason why Neo is a hacker and why Trinity is a hacker and all that stuff is not for any plot reason. It's just to sort of set up the idea of humans interacting with machines because that's the basis of the entire second half is that even though they're out of the Matrix, they can still use these sort of augmented cyberpunky holes in the back of their heads Giant to jack into the, uh, into the Matrix world or any simulation world. So I think it's just there to set that up on a thematic level okay uh that's not really answer your question though i would maybe change the outfits like, in, in the matrix the matrix outfits. outfits are all like they're so stupid with the exception of the woman who's not trinity and is in all white that one time yes and morpheus is a green tie keep morpheus is green tie morpheus is a green morpheus and switch yeah their looks are beautiful yes but neo and trinity both have very this sort of 1999 idea of what a cool outfit would look like. It's just not Long cool. Long black trench coats, black, and, la- black, black latex. And it's not good for what they're doing. Like Weird small sunglasses <laughs> that just rest between their, like, between their eyes, like on the bridge of their nose. Ugh. Like the, the long trench coats look cool when like doing cartwheels and stuff, but they're just not practical. No, and I mean, practicality is not a, like really a Wachowski concern, <laughs> but they just... That's like I think the most dated thing about the movie is their outfits. Yeah, is that people thought that like latex and tiny black sunglasses were the, the height of cool. The look of the future. Okay. Question answered. Question answered. Um, so Sign sealed delivered. Next time. <laughs> Wait, did I ask you? Should I ask you some questions? Do you have some questions for me? Yeah. What's your deal? Why didn't you like this more? <laughs> I think this we covered so that. Good. I feel like we covered that. I know, but I just want you to like it. Yeah, I also want to watch it again. Well, you maybe. made fun of me for that. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. It's okay. What have I become? Do you have any other questions? No, that's basically it. Because I feel like we could, we have more to talk about next time. There is um yes there's specifically specifically some stuff about this movie that knowing what we now know about the Wachowskis like personal lives adds new layers to it. But because a lot of that like is sort of um 
dovetails with what happens in the second and third movies. I'll maybe save that until then. Okay. It's a thing that's worth discussing, I think, in some detail. Yes. This is our first two-part episode. Yes. <laughs> it's our first two-parter. There may be more coming down the line because guess what? It's not that many things in the world. <laughs> in the course of 30-plus uh, episodes, we've gone through most of the stuff. There's other things. Next time, we will discuss The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions, which, Kelsey, you have not seen. No. And I have not seen since they were in theaters. 14 years ago. Whoa. So that will be a lot of fun. I hope you'll join us then. Join us, uh, won't you? Jo- join us, won't you? <laughs> Ruin My Life is Jason Edwards. That's me. <laughs> and Kelsey Goldman. That's me. Special thanks to Dania Bowd of the Weeping Willards for use of their song Outside in the Rain off of their self-titled album available now on Bandcamp.com. And thanks to Carly Sussman, who designed our logo. You can find her work at carly-rose.com. Rate and review our podcast, please. Please. Please do please it. Please do it. Um, tell, tell, tell somebody about it. Tell somebody tweet about, about it. it. Tweet, tweet about it. It'll be fun. Yeah, put us, get us up there. Get us up on the charts. Stephanie's home. It's okay. Okay, now people are starting to come into the apartment. So but see, it. it's just like it is at your apartment, because usually this is when Sarah comes in. You're right. <laughs> yeah. She's no Sarah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I can say that. You can say that. I can, I can say that. We are not married. Me and Stephanie? No, me and Stephanie. Oh. You and Sarah are married. Exactly. <laughs> it's a different relationship. Yeah. What are we talking about? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, What's, what happened? Uh, from all of us over here at Kelsey's apartment. Yeah. Signing off. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy Honda days. <laughs> Happy Honda days, everyone. Are Honda days still a thing? Yes. They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up. Can't let them get to me. And even though I always fuck my life up, only I can mention me. They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up. Can't let them get to me And even though I always fuck my life up Only I can mention me Only I can mention me Only I can mention me I'd probably cut that I would, I would, Or I would, make it like I would just make them beat up all those cops with their hands Yeah You can still kill cops I'm all That's fine <laughs> That's fine that's in, totally in fine. fiction In fiction uh-huh. I'm but not, do it do it with your hands. I'm not advocating for any kind of sort of uprising against the police state. Just do it with your hands. I'm not advocating that you know the workers should seize the means of production, take control of all resources, establish a new system of government. I'm not saying that. Proletariat will rise. I mean it's all true, but I'm not saying that. <laughs> it's not me.